Well, hello, friends. Welcome back. We are going live today. We're going live with a dope person. Hey, friends. Oh, that's my cousin. Hey. We are going to go live with the Seller Geek. And I'm so excited. And this is me standing here because, you know, it takes a second for these things to happen. We are so excited to be back live. So excited to be back from Atlanta. And we got a win. So super happy about that. So lots to talk about, lots to sip about, lots to toast about. So glad you're all here. Yay! All right, our guest is here. We're going to let her in the room. I feel like it's a webinar for work. Well, bonjour, queen. I, <laughs> I don't see you. See. Where are you? I know. I don't see you either. <laughs> I see the whole scene, but I don't see you. Yeah, I don't see you either. This is weird. I don't know what Instagram did, but it's playing games with us. I don't know. I see the wine. I see the glass. I see the chair, but you're not in the chair. And I don't see you at all. I just see part of your hair. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like right here. But I don't see you because I want to make sure I see you before I walk away. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So why don't you drop off and why don't I come back? Okay, let's see. How do I drop off? Let's I see. think you just say end and go bye bye. <laughs> let's see. Leave. Sorry, guys. I don't know what's happening. This is why technology can be your friend and it also is not your friend. But we are back, and apparently technology is technology in. I'm going to my AirPods in so we can hear each other. This is very odd. Well, we'll figure this all out together. So we're going to go and find the wine geek. Oh, excuse me, the seller geek. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. She should be here. We're going to try to get her back. Um, this is different. There you go. I still can't see you. <laughs> oh, no worries. I'm not in my seat yet. I'm not in my seat yet. Okay. So why. But you can okay, hear me okay, and everything. Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. There you are. Now I'm here. Yes. Hi, how are Hi. you? Good. Magnolia yeah. <laughs> is here. Woo! That's me. <laughs> I'm so excited. Thank you so much for joining us for our, I guess, third season. Like, this is so dope. Uh, you're the first guest on this season. So, woohoo! Raise the roof to you. <laughs> so, why don't you tell everybody who you are? 
So um, I'm the seller geek. I manage private wine collections. Um, I rushed home to, to get on the podcast because I was I left the seller late today. But um, yeah. <laughs> so okay, I set up. So uh, do oh, what? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, so ahead, I, I set up I set up wine cellars. Um, I procure for people. Sometimes I go and find wines for people that maybe are too busy to buy their own wines. Um, organize, inventory, evaluate. Um, I deal with the states sometimes where people have passed away and they don't know what their spouse had, and I go in and evaluate that for them. Um, you know, sometimes they decide to liquidate it. Sometimes they decide to just drink it. Try, try to drink it down. You know, I had, I had somebody who did that said, you know, ah, screw it. Let me just try to drink it down. She was older. So I was like, just live your life, you know? Right. Have you got time. Right. Yeah. Just you do it. Time. So she did. She, she, um, she went to lots of lunches and lots of dinners and had a really good time. I saw a lot of pictures online of her just having a good time with friends. So it was really nice to see. Wow. So Magnolia, where are you located? Um, I'm right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So right in between Nashville and Chattanooga. Wow. Okay. And I think a lot of people do not associate wine with Tennessee, right? <laughs> so how did you even get into the game? And before we get into that, we got to know what's in your cup. What are you sipping on for Rosé Hour? Ooh. So I grabbed an Austrian rosé um, for my cellar, just seeing what I had. Um, so this is a blend of three different grape varietals, uh, Zweigelt, Saint Laurent, and Pinot Noir out of Austria. Um, it's one of the oldest houses in Austria, um, wine houses. Um, it's really affordable. It's $18 a bottle. It's a screw cap. Yes, we love a screw cap. Accessibility <laughs> is key. Yes. Um, this one's a 2018. I bought this back in 2019. Um, so I've had it for a little while, but yeah. I like the color of it too, by the way. Yeah, it's really, um, really pale. Comes off orange on the screen, but it's really, really light. I love it. I love it. Okay. And you got to tell us what it tastes like. And then we got to know, how did you get into the game? So it's really soft, really soft strawberries, a little bit of like a lemon zest to it. Ooh. And then a little bit of effervescence off the front. But it's like, it's a really easy drinking rosé. Like, you can finish this whole bottle really fast. <laughs> I'm here for that. I like a good, uh, not a pound pound wine, but a good... Like, you know, I'm, I'm watching a good show. I'm drinking as I'm going. And it has probably a little bit of rhubarb in it on the back end, too. So Ooh, nice. I love that, Magnolia. I love it. And what's the name of it one more time? Oh, well, here's my wine tag. Ah, I love it. Yes. OK, people, get that <laughs> tag. Get that tag. Screenshot, screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Magnolia, you're in Tennessee. No, I, I mean, I'm from the Midwest. I do not associate wine in Tennessee. I associate a lot of things with Tennessee. Wine is not one of them. <laughs> well, the, the Nashville area has probably one of the largest wine collectors 
there's a lot of wine collectors in um, the Nashville, Brentwood, Franklin, Belmead area. There's a lot of um, old money here. Um, you know, old money in Belmead, you know, generational kind of money. Um, I say money, I guess wealth is the better word for it. Generation. No, we, we're talking rap, rapper style. Oh, yeah. that's money. <laughs> yeah, you that's, are. that's that new money. I'm talking about the old money. <laughs> right, right, right. Generational wealth. <laughs> yeah, yes. And then um, as far as producing wine, you know, it's like I think a lot of southern states, there's a lot of that really rock hard sweet wines that are made here. Um, I think probably the most serious wine that's made in Tennessee is right near where I live. It's called Arrington Vineyard. Um, oh, they've got yeah. some really solid wines there. And honestly, you go out there and it's gorgeous you would think you're in california it's absolutely beautiful hillside vineyards they've done a fantastic job on building it up they have like live music nights you know you can you can sit out on any of the picnic tables and smoke cigars and drink wine they do lots of weddings there and events you go any weekend and you're going to see a lot of like bridesmaids parties and you know birthdays and it's just a great event space because you can use any of the outside area, which is huge. All you have to do is go buy some wine. So people, you know, can really have a great space and venue for um, very affordable prices, which is really good for nowadays. But, you know. I, I love that. Yeah, love no, that. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's um, Kix Brooks. So it's owned by a musician. Um, he is uh, quite active in it and um, very vocal about his winery. And, uh, yeah, they make some really good wines. That's probably the one I can say, I can stand behind that winery. It's really good. And it's Kix Brooks. Um, is that uh, Garth Brooks by chance? No, I, I think I'm getting the name right. You asked me a question I didn't think about before, but I think- I was just assuming. <laughs> I, I, think, I think his name's Kix Brooks, oh, okay. uh, K-I-X. And he's a country star. I think it's him and somebody else. It's like two guys, I don't know. Um, right. I don't listen to country music, so it's not exactly in my wheelhouse to be spitting off names. But <laughs> you see, I was like, uh, Garth, that's the only Brooks I know in country. I, I mean, I've seen pictures of him. He wears the big cowboy hat. You know, he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> Standard country music type of, you know, stand-up guy. Yeah, yeah. Music. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, hey, real quick, let's toast for you being here, by the way. Cheers. Yes. Cheers. Okay, so Magnolia, how did you get started in the wine industry? Like, what was the day you were like, I'm gonna make this a job? Well, um, I worked in the restaurant industry for a very, very long time. There was a point uh, where actually I was working at this really crummy job. And the... Um, the owner said that she wanted to switch out the wine list to new wines, but she had to get rid of all of her old stuff first. So I said, all right, well, I'd really like some new stuff to try to sell to tables, maybe some higher end things. So I went downstairs to her cellar, which had a bunch of wines that were never on the list. And she said, if we can get rid of all of these old bottles, then I'll buy a whole new wine list. So I was like, great. And I didn't know anything about any of them. So, you know, I wrote them all down. I went home and I researched them, you know, so I knew how to sell these bottles to the tables. 
And within that research of those wines, it really struck an interest in me. I had a lot of questions. Um, at the time, I was going to college for pre-med, so studying was, was you know, very prevalent. <laughs> you were really good at it. <laughs> yeah. And I saw, you know, really simple questions. I guess now it's silly, but at the time, I just honestly didn't understand anything about wine. So I didn't understand how like Pinot Noir could be different in the US versus France. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing being planted. You know, why is it different? So that really, you know, was something that was a question that I had, um, you know, there was just lots of questions, really basic questions, you know, between red and white, what makes sparkling versus champagne. I just, you know, I didn't understand any of it. And as I started diving into studying about it and trying to answer my questions, I started buying wine books. Um, I bought the Wine Bible by Karen McNeil. And that was yeah. my, you know, all, I read that from cover to cover. I didn't use it as a reference guide. I read it like a book book. And <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I kept buying other books to research, you know, to use as guides. Um, then I started wanting to taste what I was reading about. So then I would, you know, read a chapter and I would go to the wine store and I would find something that would be from that country or that chapter. I would go home and read about it. And then it started turning more into an escape for me. I was, you know, a really crummy job, trying to really just pay rent and my bills, you know, just getting by. And I was able to sit at home, drink this wine, read about it in Karen McNeil's Wine Bible that really didn't just describe the wine, but she described the country, the kind of food they made. You know, she really painted a good picture in the book. So I could really almost imagine myself like on the hillside in Germany, eating stew, you know, from a cottage, looking at vineyards, drinking Riesling. I can imagine that scenario. So I started thinking of it, you know, as like a cheap vacation for me. I got to go home and, and imagine that I was in this other country. And it really, um, it really sparked something for me. You know, there were so <laughs> many different aspects to wine. You could never know all of it. You know, you can dive into the history side of wine. You can dive into the technical portion, the clones, the different varietals. There's just so many different avenues, you know, you can stop and learn about wine. It's just, I find it really fascinating. So, yeah. Wow. And like <laughs> the whole medical, you know, like medical student thing, right? You're, you're thinking pre-med, studying really hard, anatomy, science, biology, all of those things. And then you're like, hmm, dissecting grapes. This is fun. Hmm. What was the trigger that was like, I'm going to transition from doing that and potentially operating on bodies to operating at the dinner table and making wonderful experiences for people? Well, so that's a uh, huge jump. That's a big jump. Yeah, it was, it was about money. So I was, I was, it's doing, a motivator. <laughs> I was doing pre-med and, um, I was looking into doing uh, medical research. So I had a job offer at Vanderbilt university to go work there after I graduated. And I thought, man, this is phenomenal. You know, this would be so great. Um, then I looked at how much they paid you and it was like $15,000 a year. I was like, yeah. how are live off of that with student debt. I was like, I can't, I can't pay my bills with that. 
So, you know, I decided not to go that route. I stayed in the restaurant industry for a long time. Um, ended that crummy job uh, as a general manager. During oh, wow. the crummy job, <laughs> I started um, going, I learned about wine tastings. So I was like, I found these wine tastings in Nashville. You could go for like 10 or $15 and, you know, actually get to meet the winemaker. So obviously mm -hmm. it was a scenario where they're expecting you to buy cases of their wine. That's why the ticket price was so cheap. <laughs> they want you in the door. <laughs> you know, but so I was not that one doing that, but I was the one asking very technical questions. Um, I always remember that as fond memories, but I recently talked to somebody that was at those and they remember it differently than me. <laughs> She told me that I was the really obnoxious person that would show up asking very technical questions. <laughs> I don't get how that I remember energy. I'm about to say, I don't get that energy from you. I don't get obnoxious. I guess um, you're, you're just supposed to sit back and listen at those things. You're not supposed to really question the winemaker. <laughs> oh, you're just supposed to be like, mm-hmm. I, I, I took it as like an opportunity to ask the questions I couldn't ask a book. You know, so um, anyway, so I did that. And during one of those tastings, I met um, Torbreck owner at the time, Dave Powell, and he offered me a job at his winery in Australia. Yeah, so I actually went to Wait, 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 wait. We got to pause on that. So okay. <laughs> you had a job offer in Indiana, Vanderbilt's in Indiana, right? If I remember correctly. Vanderbilt is is a university and a hospital in Nashville, Tennessee. It's like an okay. Ivy College. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Got it. Got, I'm thinking of something else. I don't. I don't know what I was thinking of. Okay. So, <laughs> whatever. You get an offer there. You're like, no, because it's fifteen thousand dollars. I'm going to take on something new. This is not what I set out for when I was in kindergarten. Um, in my dreams. But I have a new idea, of a new pathway of life. And now someone's like, come to Australia. Come down <laughs> under. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, the $15,000 offer, I just felt like it, it's not where I was meant to be. You know, it wasn't my worth. I felt yeah. like the path I wanted to take. Um, you know, really, it... it it shone, it shined a light on the fact that intelligence is not rewarded with money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, which was a I'm a like sweating lesson. for you on that because like fifteen thousand dollars, come work for me in a whole nother country on the other side of the world. Like you just got me like really hot. Like I'm like, oh Jesus, that is spicy, honey. Like come on. So in Australia, in Australia, the minimum wage, the minimum hourly wage is $20 an hour. So I was going to go work at this winery and get, you, you don't work for free in Australia. There's very strict work laws. And so you get $20 an hour on um, Saturdays. It's a time and a half. And then Sundays and holidays, which they have a shocking large amount of holidays. It's a double time. So you actually get paid $40 an hour. So it was a very well-paid job. Oh, you did a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I stayed, um, I stayed in what was called the Renshaw House, 
which was a house they had on a vineyard supplied by the winery. You had to pay a rent, but it was something stupid, like $20 a week. It was something super cheap. You, you lived with everybody that worked at the winery for that season. So I had roommates. Um, I got there very early, so I got one of the two solo rooms. <laughs> everybody else got, like, multiple beds in one room. But, um, yeah. And, you know, I got to stay with one guy was from Canada. There were a couple from France. Um, some from California, one from Spain. So they were from all over, and um, it was it was a fantastic experience. I worked there for four months, lived in Australia for four months, um, you know, had a lot of uh, nights that you just got to geek out about wine with other people that you could geek out about wine about and get really technical. And it was something I'd never experienced before, being around people that I could actually, like, talk, talk to about the stuff I was learning about, you know? It, it, instead of just the wine tastings, I'm talking to a wall of a winemaker. I got to actually have conversations with these people and, and taste all these different wines and hear about their experiences. And it was, it was just really fantastic. It really, um, that definitely deepened my love for wine, that experience. Wow. I'm just like <laughs> shock and awe because like, one, you do not hear about these opportunities, right? Like many people do not know that there are sort of like these vineyards or wine companies or opportunities abroad. Uh, one, to go learn, to be really like submerged into these communities and into like the wine world um, and learning about it and having that opportunity to not be poor, if you will, to do it right like <laughs> you you were making money but also you were getting experience you were getting uh connections and just networking as well and like that is so 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 important because at least in the united states you get internship but like you got to pay for the internship right like you have to pay for housing then you have to pay for all these things and like you're not even making any money like you're paying money to do the internship so that's so amazing to hear that you had that opportunity uh what what happened next so like four months in australia you mm -hmm. have the time of your life you are yep. making wine learning about wine do you still have this dream of being in the medicine world the medical world um no that had passed you know that had passed some life happened i moved on you know from college times it was I was at the time where I'm like, how am I going to make money, like, to live? <laughs> yeah. I got to eat. I was eat. <laughs> people that were like, I want to be a lifetime student. Like, I wanted out of it. I wanted to get on with it. Like, get on with it. Get a job. Like, build a home, a life. Like, I, I want, you know, to not live like that, like a poor student. Um, so I came back from Australia. Uh, went back to the, the crappy job um got offered the general management position that I've been offered years and years I probably got offered that position for three years there and I just kept turning it down I came back and I said fine I'll take it um I just I met uh my now husband but um you know I met around that time of my life when I came back well I met him right before but when we came back we started dating and you know he really made 
a comment to me that really changed my idea of where I was in my life at that time. He, he runs a logistics company and he told me, wow, I wish I had a hundred of you in my company. Why is that? And he said, because you work so hard, like you own this business, but you don't. You yeah. have taken this ownership, but you work so many hours per week and invest in something that you have no coming back from. Mm, that's I interesting. Thought of it that way. And he said, you're investing all this time and effort and work into something you'll never see paid back to you. You're doing this for somebody else because somebody else owns the company. And, you know, that really, that really put things in perspective for me. I'd worked there for a long time. I was very invested. Um, I knew I could have ran the, the restaurant. I knew absolutely everything about it. I mean, I, was, I trained three other general managers before I took on the job. Um, wow. So I was like, wow, okay. And it really made me think. And so I decided to take a leap. And um, I started putting in job offers at high-end restaurants in Nashville. I bought a, um, a food etiquette book. So an etiquette book on how to serve properly as a server. Um, and so I got hired on at a nice high-end restaurant in Nashville. that closed like six months later. <laughs> I was devastated. <laughs> I was like, I made this huge leap and now I'm jobless. I'm freaking out. Um, the next morning I wake up to like 15 job offers on my phone of other restaurants in Nashville who had poached my number. And one of those restaurants was one I wanted to work at before the other one, but they said they weren't hiring. So, um, I went to work for them. They had the second largest wine list in all of middle Tennessee. Um, wow. huge list, just fantastic opportunity. I, I was, I was blessed to drink so so many wines there taste so many the owner um it, it, the restaurant's name was 360 bistro it's still open the owner's nick jacobson and, hey, nick. <laughs> and he, he sometimes he says he watches my lives but um you know he's just was fantastic on allowing the servers to learn he never hindered if customers wanted to give us a taste of the wine that they brought in from their sellers you know wow. he he was totally fine with it. So me as a server, I was able to taste all these wines from all these private sellers because it was located in Belmead with that old generational money. There was a lot of old wines that came in and, you know, it was just such a learning experience. It was fantastic. I ended that job as general manager again. Um, and when I left there is when I started doing wine cellars due to the clientele that I met at that restaurant. You know, that high-end individuals is now who I'm in their homes and I manage their cellars and collections. My it's mind is blown. I don't know. I, I used to always say, you know, I just kind of lucked out. Everything just kind of That's happened. not luck. That's not and luck. Then, it, it's so destiny. I, I did the interview with um, Isis, the millennial song, and she told me, she was like, it's not luck. You made it happen. You worked hard for where it is. And I don't know. She put it in a perspective I've never thought of before. And, and uh, yeah, it was really, it was really nice to hear that. And um, she was able to look at what I had done in a different way than I had. And yeah, I just always thought of it as luck. And she was like, it's not luck. And I was like, okay, okay, it's not luck. 
She's right. She's 1000% right. And if you think about it, like, luck is like you find a penny on the ground. Oh, lucky day. But like, you literally made conscious decisions that didn't serve you and manifested things that served you. Like, they were always something better. And like, you always kept a positive attitude, a great position in life, and something greater always came along. You made one decision, $15,000, that ain't it. Then you get sent to Australia to do exactly what someone said to you was what you shouldn't be doing, right? And then here you are getting the opportunity to do it. Like, how cool is that? Then you come back, you get a great job. Okay, sadly, they closed down. But look how many doors open up right? Like there's always a door that seems like it's opening. When one door closes, there are 15 more that open. And you're always ready for them because you always have that optimistic out view. You're manifesting greatness. You are greatness. So that's the beauty <laughs> of it. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Okay, so, so all these clients you have, like they're high-end clients, which is amazing because a lot of people do not understand what high-end means. So what do you mean by high-end? Because there's like high-end that's like, I got like a bathroom, like next to a bathroom. But like these, 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 these people are probably are higher end where it's like they have like a house within a house within a house that has a house. Like they're huge <laughs> houses. They're billionaires um. probably. Millionaires. A lot. A lot of them have uh, elevators inside. So if if that gives you a idea of the size, they have elevators. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know about a house within a house within a house within a house. Um, I think a lot of them would probably be classified as mansions. Um, you know that size. Uh, they're usually a couple million dollars. Um, homes, you know, you have to have a, a certain size of a home, I guess, to have a cellar in it. Um, I large, guess there's that. <laughs> my largest wine collection I manage has about 10,000 bottles, valued at about $5 million. So, you know, the home is worth more than that. So, I don't know, does that give a good picture? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just faded, um, fell out of my body, and then re-entered. You said five million dollars worth of of wine. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Ten thousand bottles is a lot. That's a lot. And so, like, how do you manage that? Like, what does that mean? Manage their wine cellar. So, um, that person that particular client um, had built their home and had built a cellar. So all his wines were just in boxes on the floor. Um, usually my clients are a little bit too busy to set that up. Either they're running a company or they've worked hard to not work. You know, whatever the reason is, you know, they can afford somebody to, set it up to where they can just go in and enjoy it. They yeah. don't have to do the work. So um, I went in and, and I completely set up that seller. Um, I then also set it up, I set it up digitally. 
Um, you know, so I do the entire inventory, I do an evaluation. And then really from that point, I break it down to what the owner wants information wise on each one. So that particular person wanted um, wine reviews, they wanted uh, varietal breakdowns, which means you have to research for tech sheets. Um, they wanted drink window dates. They wanted all this extra information, which is just extra research. Um, and all that I built out in a database for that person. Um, so then after that initial part is done, that person also continues to buy wine. <laughs> yeah. So about, about quarterly, uh, they'll purchase about six figures worth of wine every quarter. And so that's a pallet of wine that's delivered at their home, which means I have to return, put that wine up, put that in the system, take out what was drank and all these things, it's just maintenance, you know, to maintain the cellar. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, we'll have uh, projects in the cellar. That person's cellar is organized by drink ready windows. Oh, wow. It is by country, but then the countries are subset by drink ready windows. So, okay. you know, as the years go by, you empty out a section because that section that was ready has been drained. So then you have to migrate everything up. So there's right. projects that happen, you know, once a year, once every couple years. So, you know. And do you have, do you have like a team that helps you do that? Because I would imagine that that is no easy feat for one person. It's usually just me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's, it's usually a me show i show up in in sweats and headphones depending on what i'm doing in the cellar if it's very physical if i'm doing a lot of lifting of cases and stuff so a lot of times i'll be in a tank top because i'll just be hot and that's in a 55 degree room cellars are cold yeah. um yeah. doing a lot not that much moving then i'll be bundled up you know, I'll have long sleeves on, a scarf, headphones, keep my ears warm, you know, the whole, sometimes even gloves, depending. Um, so it just depends. Sometimes I'll be really hot with a tank top and other times I'll be bundled up like winter. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I, I'm just, I'm just getting so many visuals and I'm pretty sure like people watching are like, oh my goodness, you are one person. You are so dynamic. Like... <laughs> Girl, I would be in there like, I got to move all this today. Like, <laughs> I would be so just overwhelmed. How do you keep sort of like calm? Like, how do you stay focused, keep calm and not get overwhelmed by doing all that? Um, You know, sometimes I get really jacked up on coffee. You know, that'll do it. I go in, that helps me focus. Um, a couple of my clients are really sweet and they'll make coffee for me. I'll get like Aww. midday cappuccinos made for me, which is quite lovely. Other times they'll pour me some wine, which is also, you know, welcomed. Um, uh, music, I'll be jamming out, you know, depending on what my mood is. Usually old school music. So I'll put on like 70s jams Ooh. or um, sometimes I'll put on a podcast. Um yeah, it just depends. A lot of times I do soundtracks, like the Stranger yeah. Things soundtrack I'll put on. Ooh, that's good. That's good um, soundtrack. 
I like Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, which is old school music. So uh, music will get me pumped up. And then um, really my main thing is, is I'm an over labeler. I'm crazy with labels. So I will have, I have different color post-its, I have different color masking tape, I have different color Sharpies, different color highlighters, different color pens. I am color coding and labeling everything. <laughs> wow. So you are the most organized person. Like I'm OCD, <laughs> but I feel like you are organized to like the T. <laughs> it sounds like. I, I Wow. So it's kind of like a puzzle when you start out with building a cellar, when you're setting it up, you know, you're really, you've dumped out the box of pieces and they're all disorganized. And, you know, usually if you're not a complete psychopath, you get all the border pieces first. Right. <laughs> right. You build the border. Then yeah. you start, you know, collecting the different colors together. And it's sort of like that. You know, I go in the cellar and I really, I try to map out how I'm going to attack it. So let's say, for instance, currently I'm setting up a cellar in a home, the one I left today. And um, they had an off-site storage facility that they stored their wines in. And they just brought it home because they bought a home and they built out a cellar. So you just have boxes in the house. And they're not organized in the least bit. So really, I have to find a way, a way to attack that organization. And so, you know, I have to map out how does the client want his seller organized. I start labeling how, you know, you're going to find the wine. So when I'm done with the seller, you can look through most of my sellers now lean towards an app. So the app that I prefer to use is called Vino Cell. It's really fantastic, mm -hmm. super in-depth. And you'll be able to look up your wine and let's say look up a wine and go, okay, it's in section AA2. And you can go in your cellar and go in your columns and find double A and go down two slots and pull that wine and that's the wine that you're looking for. So it is very specific. Um, also, I'll, I'll sometimes throw some wine tags in there if, if the client's okay with it. So then they have a dual way of going in and finding their wines. They can either take the iPad and the app well, they can walk in and just meander and kind of go shopping and look through and pull stuff, give them options. Some people like that. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of masking tape and stickers in the one that I'm in right now. So <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm not going to leave it this way, but that's the way it is right now. It'll look a lot tidier in the end, but right now yeah. it's, uh, it's got tags everywhere, but he doesn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the building of the house process. You're building the cellar, you know, process. It's it's all the same. Wow, that's so incredible. Okay, so I got to ask this question. Have you ever broken a bottle of one of your clients? And if so, like, how did you handle it? It was, uh, I've only broken one bottle. It wasn't my fault. It was uh, one of the shelves broke in the cellar. Oh. It was... Um, an entire drawer, the the um, the rails on it weren't secured, and it fell, and I caught it. But one bottle flopped out the side. Oh, <laughs> it broke. Um, so oh. I've broken one bottle in all the years I've been doing it, which has been like I think it's like seven years now. I've been doing cellars. 
And I went upstairs and I told the homeowner and he said, okay, well, you know, do you need help cleaning it up? And I said, no, 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 I got it. I got it. Okay. I said, do you want to know what it was? And he said, no, I don't care. No, it's fine. It happens. And he didn't even want to know. That no, bottle was spectacular. Oh. Yeah, it was a Bordeaux. It was um, it was Chateau Palmer, which I absolutely love. And it was, I want to say, like a 1976. Oh. Older bottle. And it just burst on the floor. It smelled amazing in the cellar, but... <laughs> Couldn't drink. I was like, "Does anybody have a straw? Maybe I can I know. Drink it off the floor." <laughs> I, you should just keep one in your back pocket. Like, all right, <laughs> drink it right off the floor. It's I'll so do good. Last so charge later. <laughs> it's so worth good. it. <laughs> I just wanted to taste it. That's all. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I guess you could also say like when you you have so many. You know, it's like you're so, they have so plentiful. It's like that one, it's like you have $80 million in the bank and someone takes a dollar. Do you really care about the $1 now? So it continuously takes a dollar, then it's a problem. But if it's $1, it's like, it's a dollar. I'm, I'm super blessed. All my wine clients are super nice. They're very sweet to me. They're easygoing. You know, they may be lions when it comes to business, but when it comes to personal and their home and their hobby of collecting wines, they are like nice as can be, super humble. Like they're just great people. I can't, I can't speak highly enough about all my clients. And that's totally genuine. There's not Aww. one of them. Like they're, they're all fantastic. Yeah. There's even, there's even some that, that have maybe um, a record for being bad in public. A bit brass, but Ooh. behind the door couldn't be more humble and like nice. So I love it. You know, I've I've never um, if I had somebody that was really bad, I would probably drop them. I'd probably drop them as a client because I kind of have that luxury right now. I'm I'm so backlogged on clients and sellers that are waiting for me to just have free time to deal with their stuff. I've, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with that to be at that position. I wouldn't waste my time with that uphill struggle with somebody if they were going to be super difficult. Um, yeah. And luckily, no, none of my clients are. I mean, today, the homeowner was helping me. I mean, today, they were lifting boxes and wine cases, and they were helping me. Oh. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. And, and he's going to let me bring my dog to his house tomorrow, so when I work on the cellar. So, I mean... <laughs> I can't say it enough. My clients really are fantastic. Yeah, they're really wow. great. And he's not so, the only homeowner that lets me bring my dog with me. So, I mean. Well, dogs are, like, also staff, you know. They they bring so much joy to everyone around. So, it's, like, a bonus for everyone when you bring your dog. She's not a huge dog. She's a five-pound Pomeranian. But oh. you know, she's super, she's very well-behaved. Um, so she's very well trained. So that's a bonus. She's not a wild animal just barking and jumping on everything. But <laughs> she's house trained. So, but you know, that, that's a help. Uh, that's a help. <laughs> a homeowner could say no. <laughs> True. Like, oh, we don't allow pets here or something. Sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, what 
what is like your favorite type of wine to drink? Let's talk a little bit more about like things that you like. Like what is your favorite type of wine? What style, <laughs> varietals, all of those things? Um, my favorite style of wine or region would be Burgundy, France. I'm a Ooh. huge Burgundy fan. My personal page is called Burgundy Geek. I just absolutely love uh, Burgundy wines. Um, they're so food friendly. They're so easy drinking. You know, they're not high alcohol, 13.5%. They're right in that sweet spot. Um, I really love Chambertans, to be very specific. Um, all subregions of Chambertan I'm down with. You know, Latricier Chambertan, Mazie Chambertan. Like, sign me up for all of them. They're, they're fantastic. Put you um, down for one of each. <laughs> yeah, they are they are high on prices though. So <laughs> Burgundies, you're you're looking at solid three hundred dollars plus per bottle for for a decent one. You know, they, I call it Burgundies are like a black hole. You know, you taste them, they're like you know that shady person in an alley gives you that first bit for free. You know, oh! <laughs> the rest is gonna cost you. <laughs> you get one for free. That the first rest. taste is for free. <laughs> now we got you hooked. <laughs> yep. I feel like that's the same thing with Burgundy, and it got me hooked. It's fantastic. Um, I really enjoy aged Bordeaux. I've, I've been really blessed to have my fill of them. So from 1950s to 1970s, I've had a lot Ooh. of first growths, and, and you know, I've just been really blessed to be able to taste all those. That's from that restaurant. And then also my clients now, they'll, they'll gift me bottles of wine on the regular. And, you know, oh, yeah. I'm blessed for that. So, um, you know, I really, I do enjoy that flavor profile of a softer tannin and just deep cassis and berries. I mean, a, an aged Bordeaux is just, I mean, it's just heaven in a glass. It's really fantastic. Um, and burgundies, of course, are just fantastic. Red and white. You know, give me a Montrachet or Chasson Montrachet is just fantastic. Um, it's just, it's delicious. It's so food friendly. And before you know it, the bottle's gone. I mean, you just drink it so fast. <laughs> I just love how you pronounce the names, like, off the tip of your tongue so well. Like, not everybody can do that. Present company included cannot. And, like, you, you know, it's it's a talent. Um and there are some sommeliers that I've seen, especially here in D.C., uh, no shade to anyone, that they just don't have that sort of like, ah, when they say it. Like, your eyes literally light up when you're talking about this. It's and I love light. it. It's light. That's what yeah. it is. <laughs> no, you're, you're, not, you're not light up because of the ring light. But, like, you're literally, like, are glowing when you speak about this. And, like, you you are really like meant to be in this industry. Um, you're, you're just destined for it. Like you're meant to be here. <laughs> and you know how you, some people are like, oh, you meant to do that. You are meant to do this. <laughs> like you really are. Oh my God. You're just so, oh, I can just hear you talk about like, just say more names. <laughs> Say more French wines. I love it. Bouton Rothschild. Oh, I love the it. <laughs> I feel like the hyenas when they say Mufasa. Like, ooh, say it again. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you 
know, I feel I feel like um, a lot of wine professionals they make they make wine too difficult. You know, they make it you know an uphill battle. They they try to almost um, force their knowledge on you, so you recognize that they're really smart about the wine stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I I wouldn't say the H four is really hard, but I disagree with that because um, I feel like that group of people really don't realize um, who the vast majority of consumers are. And the vast majority of consumers are not those people that are really worried about the super nuances of what you're tasting and smelling in your glass. I mean, is it good or not? Does it taste like piss in a glass? Like, is it yummy? Can you drink it? Does it go good with barbecue? Like, I mean, what, you know, you really got to throw it down to basics. And throw some, like, fun facts in there. You know, I'm, I'm all about some fun wine facts. You know, I love, you know, I love the history about wine. I love the scandals, the wine scandals over history. Um, I love those. Hearing about uh, maybe wineries that have sold for multis of millions of dollars to a big conglomerate. It's like, ooh, that's such a scandal. This person yeah. just day. Also, don't be mad at that person. If somebody offered me a check that big, take my winery, I will cash that $170 million check in. Like, I will take that money. But, um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of really fun stuff with wine that is not highlighted. Things that, that grasped me into learning about wine. Things that really interested me. You know, the, um, not to be super, like, feminist or anything, but there's a lot of- Do it! There's a lot of great- women wine stories throughout history in times of history where like widows were like a death sentence you became a widow and your husband died like you're you're destitute like you were poor you're not gonna make it you're gonna die and there are women in history with wine that really blossomed and bloomed i mean Vuve clicquot is a fantastic story if anybody knows about that story she's like a boss lady that really pushed through and at that time and really you know it's not that different now but during that time period she outsmarted the men she had a fantastic vintage it was a golden vintage the comet year then a war came in and dudes do what they do they came in and pillaged and drank everybody's good juice but she thought ahead and she took her good stuff and put it behind a false brick wall in the back of her cellar, bricked it up, let those fools come in and drink all of her other champagne. And when it was done, she knocked down the wall. She was the only one out of the champagne houses that had the good stuff. And then she sold that to the royals because that's who bought the champagne at the time. I mean, how ingenious to think that. You know, the, the idea of riddling at the time, the idea of, I mean, all that. There's so many different stories of that throughout history of women just persevering, being super smart and business savvy in a time period that was not allowed at all. It was not easy. I mean, to say an uphill battle is an understatement. It was climbing a mountain for these women. And, you know, I really enjoy those stories it's very inspiring. I like to maybe see history painted in a different way that is portrayed. <laughs> yeah. You know, and to see those those hidden stories I really like. And and not just women, there's lots of other people that are maybe, you know, 
started from nothing and built this huge empire of a winery just through grit, just through selling their wines out of the back of their old Astro van, <coughs> uh, exactly. Smith, Washington State, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lots see, of great story. <laughs> no, but drag some more, because like, there was like bootleggers, and then also like in the Caribbean, you know, the like, Making wine in the Caribbean was not like, oh, oh, you don't hear about Caribbean wine, right? Like, no one's really like, get your wine from the Jamaicans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you get like, else from the Jamaicans. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of things from Jamaicans, but wine ain't one. But, like, they would use, like, this dried out process of, like, hanging vines outside to try to create wine. And, like, there's stories about people in different cultures that throughout history that you will find that like everyone tried to do their thing with wine or create their own type of wine. Now, is it good? Were they doing like an Amarone de Valpolicello? Like that kind of thing, like a dried grapes kind of thing? It's exactly what they were trying to do. And, and I mean, I, if you think I, I of- Amarone. Yeah, but like there are other things that they don't do well. I mean, you know, bootleggers are going to bootleg. You go do what you got. You're going to try would, to do what you can. <laughs> I would try the Jamaican Amarone. I'll, I'll give it a whirl. i try yeah. it out. I mean, we're going to try to locate some and try to get you some. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, but, I'm all about the weirdos. Yeah. But like, it's, it's just everyone tries to do something a little bit different. Um, and throughout history, you know, cultures, people, and especially women, we're always trying to innovate and make sure that we are doing what we need to do in this industry specifically. Um, so I commend you because you're such an industry leader. Um, you don't hear about people uh, like yourself so much, right? Those that have created sellers that have a owned and operated business that does this. You hear, you're starting to hear more about women who are creating wine, but like who's managing wine and maintaining sellers you're not, you don't really hear that. So I'm really thankful for this opportunity to talk to you because like it shows another side of the industry, you know? And like, we want to make sure that we're highlighting every aspect that we can because everybody ain't a winemaker. <laughs> <laughs> we can all drink it, but everybody ain't a winemaker. So like there's <laughs> other roles that people can have. And like for one, you have created such a great opportunity that people can learn from uh, that they may be able to pick up from, right? Like, hey, you, you may be able to become a seller, you know, or get a manager too. Like, this is huge. Like, the industry has other opportunities. Don't just look at just creating one. Yeah, you know, I, I manage them. I also procure, you know, I, I like to say in a, a not so short way, some people make the income, but they don't have the time, you know, so they have the money, but they don't have the time to buy. And I'm more than happy to spend your money. So I will go spend your money for you. <laughs> See, and that's a whole nother thing we'd even touch on tonight. But like, there's that side of the industry too. Like you are a buyer. So like, there's that. So like, there's so many sides, you do so many things. You have lived so many lives in this industry. Like, I want to make sure that we continue to uplift and putting this out there so people know that, like, you don't just got to make the juice. The juice got to get to people in different ways. 
There's lots of different things you can do in wine. I have a friend that um, I introduced and got connected with working uh, in the wine industry. Now, she used to try to work to travel. And like you mentioned earlier on uh, uh, work you can do in the U.S., you have to pay basically for the internships. She was kind of in that scenario. I was like, there's things you can do and get paid and still travel. And so I got her connected with working wineries and doing um, what's called a seller hand. That's when you get hired on during the vintage time. Every winery needs more people during the time of vintage. It's just more hands on deck. And so she now gets paid to travel everywhere to work at wineries. She even got hired on for like months of a job in Canada at a winery because she worked so many different wineries. You know, I got her started in um, a winery in Australia. I got her connected with, and I said, listen, you just got to lie enough to get your foot in the door, and from that point forward, you'll be fine. So I helped her out, and she's, I think she's like on her sixth winery she's worked wow. at. Wow. She's done a lot. And one of the things that she's done that's phenomenal, I didn't even know she had this talent, was she's um, a label designer. So she has actually designed some labels because she draws. And I couldn't even buy, I tried to buy the wines. They sold out immediately with her with her design on the label. I couldn't even buy them. I don't even have any, which really sucks. But um, yeah, so there's different things. You know, you could be like that person if you're uh, good at graphic arts or drawing or whatever. There's a shocking amount of wineries that now have art on their labels. I mean, some super high-end wineries. Ornelia does one um, that they really highlight. I, I found out one today in a cellar that I'm in that there's a certain winery that makes, they buy a giant piece of art and they cut it up and they put a chunk of that artwork on every single bottle of wine. And then oh, they, wow. in the box, you open it, and it's a picture of the artwork. It's huge. And you can basically find your puzzle piece on this giant piece of artwork. I mean, that's crazy. So there's a lot of art in wine as well. If you're artistic, there's a lot of opportunities there. Yeah. For techie and chemistry. People don't realize how much chemistry is involved in wine. There's a lot there's that's so. That's why I can't do a lot of things. My math skills is not what's up. <laughs> there's some great salary jobs with wine work. Um, you know, there's procuring. I see a lot of subscription services now with wine. I do think now that's a bit of a saturated market. But, you know, dive into it. There's a lot of different aspects uh, to wine for sure. I think, uh, was it um, six black wine i forget her, the name of the wines and you had her, oh she did her, she did yes. her like, fantastic it's like a party confetti girls night on the lake. it was beautiful you know so there is that aspect of a job as well if you're artistic i am not i can't i draw the stick figure i'm not artistic but there are lots of it'll just be like this yeah <laughs> with a wine glass <laughs> Drink. <laughs> <laughs> but no, to your point, like that's that's huge and amazing because um 
there are so many avenues that people can choose from to hop into this industry to, I mean, heck, I, I am not a sommelier. I'm not no W set. Um, I cannot pronounce half of these words. Um, I also got a Invisalign last week and like my, now I got a list. So like, I just talk funny now. Like, so there's you that. So, right now? Yeah, but I'm on now. So like, there's that. Uh, <laughs> oh my god I sound so weird at least in my head and I'm like I'm like over talking to, like, like I feel like I'm like this when I'm speaking so it's weird um <laughs> like you can create opportunities even in this industry it just seems like like and I feel like a lot of industries you can't do that right um I feel like it is an open opportunity for engagement and more particularly for women and minorities, um, for engagement and networking and really connecting to communities who have been drinking wine for centuries, but the dog, I got really excited, sorry, but haven't been like perceived as included. So now we're all, it's more inclusive, right? And I feel like the more inclusive, the more opportunities, so. And the baby is so cute. I'm sorry. I got really sidetracked. I have she, ADD. The, the bell's right there. She rings the bell to go outside, and she's ringing the bell. So it's like, just let me hold you. Like, hold on. We get a couple more okay, minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a couple more minutes, baby. Okay, because we Stop don't want no drama. We don't want no drama. And also, I'm looking real pink right now because the sun is setting. Um, And I got a pink glow to me, and I'm not really sure how that happened. So... <laughs> I mean, it's Rosé Hour podcast, so I feel like it works. Man, I am looking like, uh, what's the girl, Baruka, when she was in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Oh, yeah. You don't look like a plum. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you have, you have like a snatched waist. You, you do not look like her. <laughs> well, don't worry. That snatch is going to get unsnatched shortly. But <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I'm so thankful for you, Magnolia. How can people follow um, follow you and like continue like connecting with you? So I'm on Instagram, The Seller Geek. Um, I'm also on Facebook, and I'm actually going to be starting my own sh live show and podcast here in about a month. It's going to be called The Seller Geek. Um, yeah. you know, really diving into all the things that I said sparked my interest you know, wine history, wine scandals. I feel like a lot of stuff that's just not talked about. Um, also, I'm going to be going a bit old school with being a sommelier, and I'm going to be doing cigar pairings as well on the show. Can I come and ask, like, to, to Tennessee? Ten, look, see, this is the Invisalign what? doing stuff. Uh, <laughs> can I come to Tennessee and we do an episode? Here it goes. Cigar wine pairing where we talk about a wine scandal yes <laughs> we could do it wherever you want so we have a cigar lounge here at our house um i could also very well have us film it in one of my clients homes and one of their epic balconies or by their pool or whatever they're very open for me using their homes for things because they're so nice um, we could do it at a cigar lounge. I know a lot of different cigar lounge owners. Yeah, I mean, take your pick, Renee. Come on down. Let's do it. 
You will be texting after this, and you'll see me in Tennessee. See you in 10. <laughs> no, this has been so much fun, and I, I was so excited to come to Tennessee and do um, an episode with you on your podcast, which I'm so excited uh, that you are launching. Um, I am looking even more pink now, so... <laughs> I bid you all adieu. Thank you, Magnolia, for joining us. One more time, what is your handle for people to follow? The Cellar Geek. The Cellar Geek. Like a wine cellar. The Cellar Geek. But she ain't no geek geek. She's a geek. <laughs> I don't know. Put on contacts just for you. I was wearing my glasses. Listen, honey, it's their, their days, these are like this. I, I just... It happens. <laughs> my girlfriend Anita said I need to stop wearing my glasses during lives because it's just a big round light circle in them because <laughs> of the ring lights. So I was like, fine, I'll put in contacts. You look fabulous, darling. Thank fabulous. You. Well, thank you again. And thanks, darling. <laughs> thanks for joining us again. And next week we have another fabulous guest. So stay tuned. 7 p.m. on Thursday. And this is me walking around the table to end the live. <laughs> <laughs>